You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 187 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Good evening, chaps. Good to see you back on the podcast. Jay, I believe you were incredibly busy last week. Uh, well, you know, sometimes you've got to go to that, um, what's it called, work to pay for the hobby. So, you know. So, so you weren't preparing for the siege then, but that's what Matt said you were doing. Uh, the Empiricists are always ready for the siege. They were ready before the siege was even announced, Dave. <laughs> Ace. Right, so on this week's show, we're going to be talking a bit of Age of Sigmar in our main segment because we have got our hand Echoes of Doom, the latest battle box of Sigmar which pits the Skaven against the Sylvaneth. So me and Jay have got some thoughts to share with you all uh, later on in the show. For this week's top three, a little bit different. Matt, you've set us a challenge to pick our top three favourite paints. Yeah, top three favourite paints. These can be from any range. So there's a whole pool of paints to pick from here. So we have done just that. There's also a bunch of stuff in the news. And of course, we'll be reading out some of the community top three picks towards the end of the show. And before we get to the updates this week, um, just a quick shout out to um, a few people who have been in touch about the podcast over the last couple of weeks. So we have had a few technical um, issues Hopefully they are all put to bed now. Um, some of you will be happy to hear that we only appear once on Spotify now, um, which is good. Uh, and I believe we're having some issues on um, Google Casts. Uh, that has also now been resolved. Uh, and hopefully, thanks to Matt, my audio should also be um, better than it was the last couple of weeks. So thank you for bearing with us. We've we've had some awesome emails from you guys um, in regards to the podcast just recently, and it's very much appreciated. Um, you know, we're just... We just we just enjoy doing this, don't we, guys? So it's do, it's great it? that you guys enjoy listening to us. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit of a hobby hobby outside of work. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you keep listening. We'll keep making it. Yeah, absolutely. So shall we talk about what we've been doing in the hobby this week? Um, Matt, uh, you might have been a little bit quiet on the hobby, maybe. You say I've been quiet. You say I've been quiet. I have been insanely busy. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, crack assassins would take me down if, if my lips even spilt what I've been up to. So unfortunately, you're going to have to wait on that one. So um, I went to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show over the weekend. <laughs> that was pretty cool. It didn't have any Space Marines in it, but it had some good songs. Ace. And, and, and there should be more songs in Warhammer, right? There should be, yeah. Can we have Richard O'Brien write a Warhammer 40,000 musical? <laughs> it would certainly be niche. <laughs> it would be niche, yeah. I'd go watch it, though. I, I would. <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking you could get like Metallica just play like an amazing metal song while uh, the battle's going on in the background. I thought that would be amazing. Yeah, it's just me, just me. There you go. Cool. Um, well, uh, Andy, how about yourself? What have you been up to in the hobby this uh, past week? Um, so I have been trying to get Kragnos fully painted and finished. He is about 90% of the way there. Um, I've gone for sort of like a brown colour scheme with 
sort of like orange fur um and i've gone for like the armor panels are um, at the minute bright gold because i need to wash them and do some dry brushes and stuff later on um but for the most part he's pretty much done with the exception of um, the arms and the weapons and stuff um but yeah he's definitely been a labor of love um but yeah he's he's taken up most of my time this week um he looks at trying to get him he's... done yeah he yeah he, 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 yeah he's been an absolute joy to paint i think the last big model i painted was the night desecrator and then before that it was all the mega gargants and yeah i think of all the big models i painted recently he's be he, by far my favorite and the one i've definitely enjoyed the most um and then i've just been sort of um building some chaos knights for the 40k doubles that we're going to at the end of june so like i just said i've got the night desecrator built and painted i still haven't decided on a how i'm going to base them yet because i want all my 40k chaos forces to be based the same way and i've already based loads of chaos demons for age of sigma which i can use in 40k so i'm kind of leaning down that route but at the same time that basing scheme is one that i've been doing for like the last three years so i don't know if i want to change it up and 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 do a bit different but um yeah so the rest of the week apart from painting kragnos i've been building some some little knights um at the minute they are armless <laughs> so they're um, just jeers so yeah. then are they yeah they're just they're not... jeers at the minute yeah <laughs> not armages oh god the puns um so yeah hopefully um when i finalize the, the list and that sort of stuff i'll i'll stop putting arms on and, and getting some paint on them but uh, I mean, jumping into the news, obviously, um, War Dogs are going up for pre-order next Saturday. Um, yeah, so, spoilers, yeah, I'm yeah. definitely going to be buying another box of those. Yeah, I know, hashtag spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so building some mini nights and uh, painting Kragnos, and that's, uh, yeah, that's what I've been up to this week. Excellent. Uh, Jay, how about yourself? Is it is it still all on the, the Heresy hype train? Well, let's start with the Heresy hype train then, because um, obviously, you know, we went to the uh, Heresy Open Day um, a few weeks back, and then this week I've noticed a lot of the um, content creators online have been posting. Obviously, they've been, they were they were given the sets to paint up in the different legions, and we saw some of them on display. I remember, but now we're getting mm, other yeah. pictures of them online. So yeah, the the Heresy is oh, that's at the forefront of my hobby at the moment, uh, and I've been doing a lot on that actually. So I've been working on uh, my Imperial Fist, the vehicle side of things now. So most of the infantry is done. Uh, I've got a unit of ten phalanx warders that I've ordered the parts for to come. Some new shields. I'm going to make these Mark Three phalanx warders. So the the set you buy off Forge World is Mark Four, special like Imperial Fisty stylized Mark Four armor. Um, but I want a, a unit of Mark Three. Uh, phalanx orders as well so i've got some bits to convert them up that's the and that would that will round out the infantry then in the army whilst i wait for those to arrive i've started working on the vehicle so i've got the two javelin land speeders in front of me um javelin speeders um and an arcator arcator Arqu- i don't know the siege tank with the missiles on the back um which i've been working on this week uh, that's almost done now and in fact in front of me while we're recording this podcast i'm just painting up the uh, the sponsor and heavy bolters and the weapon shield on the back and then it'll just be the missiles i have to add on um 
<laughs> over the weekend, I got Rogel Dawn. He's built now in the sub-assembly. He's ready for spraying. Uh, and I very, very, very nearly thought, oh, rather than paint a vehicle, I might paint Rogel Dawn. But I decided, no. I'm going to get the vehicles done, get that last squad of infantry done, and do Rogel Dawn right at the end. It'll be the last model I paint for the Imperfect Rogel oh, Dawn and Sigismund. Cool. Uh, so, your Aquitar Bombard is looking absolutely phenomenal. I popped around yeah. earlier dropping off a mic and uh yeah it the pictures don't do it justice you've done such a good job on that oh cheers matt yeah well yeah you can go on twitter so on the twitter site you'll see how the work in progress on that thing that that is a lump of resin i tell you it is solid like really heavy and really really nice looking vehicle it's almost like if you've seen this sakaran tank that's that 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 forge world made in resin but then they're also making a plastic version i think we did did they see we saw the plastic Uh, sakaran didn't we they're making a plastic sakaran yeah yeah, so this is the Akita is like sort of like the reverse of the Sakaar, and so it's like almost like turned the wrong way around. Um, so it's it, it's really cool. It's like a brutal siege tank that sort of rolls up with the infantry, a bit tougher than than other tanks, uh, but it's also a bit slower. And in the lore, it it, it 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 it's a bit slower so that the infantry keep up with it. It's sort of almost like a another squad member basically rolling up with the troops. So really, really cool and fits the sort of siege style of the Imperial Fist. Um, if you listen to this podcast and you've not seen one of these before, um, but you play 40k, think of the Plague Burst Crawler from the Death Guard. Yeah, yeah. What's really cool is that it, what I really love with the design is that the the Aquator came out after the Plague Burst Crawler, yet it's kind of like a pre-heresy version of that. It's quite clever how they've done it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's that's it on the heresy front. Um, but also, we were really lucky. Uh, Games Workshop sent um, uh, Spruce and Brews a copy of the Echoes of Doom uh, box, which is the um, the the Skaven and um, Sylvaneth with the uh, the the bunch of new Sil- uh, Sylvaneth models in there. Um, so myself and Dave, we we split that and we we painted that between us. Um, so I have also painted the Gossamid Archers, the Lady of Vines. So I already had a Durfu and some Colonel Hunters painted for me at my Sylvan Farmy. But yeah, they were really, really nice models. Really, really uh, nice models to paint as well. Really enjoyed them. I've got a bit of work to finish off on the Lady of Vines. Um, she's almost there. Um, the Gossamid Archers. Um, so I was really scratching my head about how I'd get that sort of like ethereal sort of weapon glowy effect, effect they have. Um, so obviously I had, a, I had a, a recipe for my old Sylvan F, which uses paints that are no longer in production and i always find it a bit tricky to go back and try and replicate that and use that because i think you know it's i'm trying to make a consistent look across the army if you can't buy the paints out of a part off the shelf i always think well what if i don't get it right so i tried to come up with a new recipe using um existing paint range and I, i'm quite happy with the, the the weapons what i'm not mega happy with is the skin um so i tried to follow a guide online to, to paint the skin using celestial gray and coley a green shade i'm not really too happy with how it turned out i think it looks a bit patchy so i'm, I'm tempted to go back in and fix the skin and figure out a decent recipe for that um before the rest of the silver neff models come out so obviously i'm really looking forward to the um the the spite lancers are the in the um the seekers uh the, the flying bug cavalry um, so if any of the listeners have got a really cool recipe for Sylvan F skin, so the glowy blue-green sort of skin on the Revenant-type models, please let us know so I can I can have a go, because I'm really looking for a decent recipe for that. Uh, so, yes, that's my hobby. Excellent. You've been, you've been very, very busy. Um, you uh, I've touched on what I've been up to this week. So my priority was to paint the Deathmaster from the Echoes of Doom box set, and I am super happy with how he's turned out. 
Um, he's probably the best Skaven model I've painted so far. Um, he's really nice. I'm, he's going to have to squeeze into a few Skaven lists. I'd previously never written an assassin into a Skaven list before, um, but 100% he's going to have to. He's going to have to go. Yeah. Sometimes models do that, don't they, Dave? You've, if you've really enjoyed painting a model, it can really sort of. Well, I don't, I'm just including this in my army because it's so cool. I've got a couple of models in my collections like that as well. Well, we we talk about it quite a lot on the podcast, don't we? That we, we none of us are really competitive, competitive. So when a cool model comes out, it's very easy to be like, well, let's just go. In. It could be the most uncompetitive, but it looks nice and uh, I enjoy using it. So yeah, he was a really fun model to. To, to build and paint. He does look um, good. I sadly didn't get to paint the uh, rest of my half yet, um, but what I have done is I built all my clan rats and vermin. Um, I've sprayed my storm vermin. They're going to be my next Skaven unit to tackle. Um, so, really, I mean, they're old kits, but they, they're still fun. They're, you know, they're still like a classic charm to them. Um, so, all I've got left to build from the box is the Gracian's Crimean Bell. But similar to your rope, not on the same scale, I'll use him as like um, the final piece of the puzzle you know once i've got this beginning path to glory force painted he'll be like the last thing i tackle um so yeah looking forward to to tackling that but um did you just not... compare a skaven grace here on a screaming bell to the primarch of the seventh <laughs> astartes Both legion rats that hide in a cave <laughs> you know, <laughs> it sounds about to Whoa. me, Dave. Sounds about right to me. See, this is the thing. This thing. Obviously, over the next month, I think the uh, there might be a civil war breaking forth on Instagram. <laughs> Sides will be taken. In fact, a, a split, fully fifty percent, will fall to the war master, while the other mm. foolish fifty percent stick to the, uh, the the false emperor. Mm. Wonder how that plays out. Um, Are we calling it a sprue heresy? The sprue heresy, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of a cool uh, alternative name, but I can't think of one. I might, I might come up with one before the end of the show. Um, apart from works, doesn't it? hobby heresy, um, so other than uh, other than my deathmaster and building some skaven, um, I've been super torn on what to take to uh, 40k doubles with you, Jake. Um, I've been I keep looking at your list and wondering what would work well with it, uh, and I'm pretty much. Set on it either being the Death Watch or Death Guard. It's going to have the word death in it. So what I've been up to this week is I've actually I actually had some Blade Guard veterans um, that uh, were from Indomitus originally. So I've built them and I'm planning on painting them as, as Death Watch because I fancy using them if if I do take um, Death Watch. Uh, and for the Death Guard, I have pulled out some um, cultists, some classic cultists that I'm thinking of painting up for the Death Guard, uh, and I'm also tempted if I do go that route to maybe pick up a Hellbrute. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping to have made a decision in the next couple of days so I know which way to take this, and I'll obviously have to speak to you as well, Jay, and see what works best. But um, yeah, still, still torn on what I want to take. Um, so I've kind of been doing a lot of flicking through codexes, um, which I find really enjoyable. Anyway, I love I love reading the codex. Um, so yeah, we'll have to. Hopefully, I'll make a, made made a decision by next week. Fingers crossed. And I think that brings us to the end of this first segment on this week's podcast. We've got plenty to get through, so we're going to take a slight pause and we'll come back with this week's news. So what do we have in this week's news, Matt? 
Well, we have got another jam-packed week of releases. I think, if I'm honest, guys, this is just going to be how it goes going forward now with all of the stuff coming out from Games Workshop every week. Uh, we've got a cool big box up for pre-order, though, on Saturday. Kill Team Morok, which is the latest Kill Team box, hitting the Primaris Marines against Traitor Guardsmen. Can you imagine it? <laughs> so this follows the same pattern as all the other Kill Team boxes we've seen. Essentially, a new kill zone with new scenery to represent it. In this case, it is the, I forget what it's called, the recent new uh, uh, terrain that came out during the Vigilus arc. It looks really good. It's uh, quite expensive to get by itself, so getting it bundled in here is uh, quite quite a bargain, really. There's also a uh, Phobos Space Marine kill team, um, which is cool because we haven't had any bespoke Space Marine stuff yet this edition. And we get the brand new... Uh, traitor Guard, who look like they include a Traitor Commissar and an Ogryn as well, because, you know, you, you, you bring an Ogryn to a knife fight, don't you? <laughs> um, yeah, these these look really, really nice. And I'm hoping that they get profiles in the new Chaos Space Marine book, because this just brings me a step closer to my goal of having a Chaos Space Marine army with no Space Marines in it. <laughs> <laughs> It's gonna be done. I'm, 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 I'm going, I'm going full, full traitor. Um, you should never go full traitor. Um, so yeah, this is cool. So it costs 125 pounds, which I want to say is slightly more than the older Kill Team boxes, but the scenery is newer. Mm. So yeah, it looks a good one. Um, again, what's cool about these Kill Team boxes is that if you collect the kind of like associated army as well. You can normally, like with the, with the uh, Eldar, you can build the um, the Void Scarred as a as a either standard or kind of a more specialised unit in the book, and then obviously that doubles up as being able to use the kill team. So I imagine we'll see the same for these. Unfortunately, the the, boat, the Chaos Space Marine book isn't out yet, and we haven't seen any profiles yet for the Space Marines in here. But presumably we'll have the same situation. So that's quite fun. Um, there's also dice for both of these kill teams. They're £24 each. I don't know about you guys. I, 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 as much as I'd love the, the kind of traitor guard dice, I'm not uh, taken by them as much as I'd like to be. Mm, I don't think I've seen these ones, actually. It's like a, It looks like a chaos, space, like a, a traitor guard helmet stylized with spikes on the top. It's quite cool, but I don't know. It isn't gripping me, unfortunately. Um, though I guess there's only so much you can do with the chaos star, isn't there? Yeah. Now, Andy, you were saying that you wanted to expand your Chaos Knights, and well done. The Codex Chaos Knights has got its own standalone release, uh, not too far after the big box that came out, and it is joined by the Chaos Knight Abominant box, clocking in at £105. This can build every variation of the Chaos Knight, so the uh, Abominant, the Desecrator, and the Rampager. Whether you like psychic, shooty, or punching things in the face, all tastes are taken for with this box, which is really cool. And uh, who let the war dogs out? These are up for pre-order as well. £52.50. And he builds the carnivore, which is the close combat variant. The stalker, which is the shooty and punchy version. Or the brigand, which is the really shooty version. So again, three different flavours of war dog you can build. Uh, the sprues in the kit, you could build two of one type or one of two different types. You've got a lot of freedom on how you build them, so they're pretty cool. Uh, you'll note that if you bought both those kits, I'd clock in at £157.50. So 
potentially, if you can still get your hands on the big £160 box that came mm. with the codex and the data cards as well, and you haven't got the book yet, definitely do that because that's a bargain, really. Um, obviously, people who've bought that big box and want to add some more War Dogs and, and another night and stuff, this is now your opportunity to do that. So I'm glad that it's soon after the release and it's not the case of having to wait a couple of months. Uh, the aforementioned Chaos Knight data cards are also available as well for £17. Now, if you're like me, you'll be a big fan of the um, the, the Ash Waste scenery that was released for Necromunda not so long ago in the big chunky Ash Waste box. And if you're also like me, if you've walked through the halls of Warhammer World recently, you will have drooled, literally drooled, over the Necromunda board they've got set up with some rather sexy, I might add, extended hab modules which were kind of like longer and look more like a i guess more like a living unit than the circular ones in the box well yeah. i have got very good news for you as for 65 english pounds you can get the extended hab module it looks like it's two kind of parts of the standard hab module then with a connecting part that goes in and that sprue looks like it's got some interesting new stuff such as a water tank that can go on the top some extended support pylons to make sure the place stays in place during a storm um owen the the, the designer of the kit showed that if you actually don't build the support struts and just have like the the foot of that the the module can actually lock into them and that is then enough distance for a set of Necromunda steps to walk up so you can have it on the floor. And they've actually built them like that on the Necromunda board in Warhammer World, and they look amazing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a pricey kit, £65, but this is going to be a big kit. The individual kind of units are big. So when you think two of them kind of connected with a gantry, you're going to be able to fit a lot of people in here. Now, if, you know, you're, you're an up-and-coming young couple who maybe can't afford an extended hab module, it's fine. <laughs> you can get the standard hab module. This is £47.50, and it is the same as the big hab module out of the Ash Waste box. So you get the cool kind of like uh, cover for the door. You get all your ladders. You get all the greebling in the world and moisture evaporators. And there's, there's so much stuff on this sprue that you can play with and make it look cool. So that is available separately as well, as is the platforms and walkways. Because if you're playing in the Ash Waste, even the sand can melt your shoes so it's sometimes good to stand on something that isn't sand and desolate environment so also for 47 pound 50 you can get i think it's i believe it is the same number of platforms and walkways that you get in the big ash waste box as well so again altogether like, like i said when we reviewed this it's about 140 pounds worth of scenery in that big box so if you're looking to get this and you want the gangs and rules, it may still be worth picking up that big box. But obviously now you've got the option to pick and choose and get which bits that you want. So, yeah, I will definitely be at least adding an extended hab module because I think they look really, really cool. Um, you guys, you know, haven't played much Necromunda, but what do you think of this scenery for like standard 40k games? I think you've all seen it in the flesh now, haven't we? For standard 40k? Um... I think for standard 40k, I prefer the stuff we've seen in the Kill Team box, the new Kill Team box myself. Yeah. But that said, I do really like the scenery because it's, it's different and I think it fits the sort of Ash Waste theme. Um, so in that regard, I, I do really like it. Um, and I think you could probably make some really, really interesting boards and dioramas and things with it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think it would work better with Kill Team rather than um, full fat 40k. Um, but saying that, I think stuff like the um, the antenna array and stuff would, would 
suited really from the new um, kill team boxes. Um, but yeah, I think I'm with Jay. I think I slightly prefer the, the kill team 40k, but I think it looked really good. I think it looked really good for, yeah, for the kill team. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. I think it works phenomenal for like games of kill team and Necromunda, those small skirmishy sort of games. Um, but yeah, larger games, uh, I don't know. I think it could still work. Um, but I think like you have to theme the entire table in a very similar sort of way. Um, but I don't know. I think it could work with a 40k. I think it'd be interesting to see. I think I think yeah. I think if you mixed like those with some of the kits that are already available, I think you could make a very lived-in looking board. But I think the problem with 40k is it doesn't really suit going up and down ladders and standing on buildings as much uh, as a kill team and Necromunda. I think that's where the issue would be. Fair enough. Well, either way, it's a beautiful set. Now, gentlemen, we saw a couple of weeks ago that a new edition of Warcry, well, we assume it's a new edition, something new for Warcry is on the way. Probably a new edition. And um, we we have seen today on Warhammer Community a brand new fighter from a, from a, a warband that we have not seen before. So this is the Rotmire Creed Carrion Catcher. Which has got a lot of alliteration in that I fully approve of. <laughs> and this is, I don't, at first I thought it was a Nurgle warband, but I don't think he's actually a worshipper of Nurgle as such. This is a guy who goes out into the various kind of jungles and horrific environments of um, Thondia and gathers carrion to take home to have a delicious dinner. Um, he's got stilts because there's a lot of swamps and stuff, so you don't want to get your toes wet. He has got a rather vicious looking hook on a rope for grabbing around the throat of whatever poor prey that he's uh, dragging away. And to camouflage him with the environment, he's got kind of like bits of wood and moss and yuck on his back. And I really like this guy. I don't know about you guys. He He looks Cool is my particular taste, um, but he is a very cool mini. Um, I love how with like the war crime models that we they fit in with all those little details, like you said, Matt, when he's um, on stilts because there's lots of swamps and stuff like that. That's that's those little details that when you look at the model initially, you don't see it, you don't think about it, but then when someone points it out or something along those lines so all of a sudden you look at my miniature in a completely new light and i i think with war crying like they're absolutely hitting out of the park and when i saw this model today i was just like yeah i i i think i want to buy these models just to paint like looking based on that one model alone yeah i like it because it's not overtly chaos i think it, it does look like a you know you could have like a tribe of these guys just living in the swamps um yeah and that's what I suspect it is, because it's going to move away from the to the other Grand Alliances. This could well be what someone of order looks like. He's just he's just out to get his dinner. That's like yeah. bring, isn't it? Um, so yeah, so he looks really really cool. Um, Jay, now you've been painting a lot of yellow power armor recently, haven't you? I have, but well, yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all right because this Thursday. Um, Warhammer Community showed off the fact that Forge World are releasing some brand new upgrade packs designed for the new Plastic Mark VI uh, power armor. So there's a set of Imperial Fist heads, including a very kind of um, 
serene looking sergeant and um, a set of molded imperial fist shoulder pads so there's nothing new forge would have done these before but it looks like they've updated the sculpts and um, they're going to re-release them to fit in with the mark six power armor um i'm a big fan of these i've used these the older kits on my um empress children and the sons of horus good good loyal to the war master uh, armies i think you'll note there and um yeah I, I think these are really cool at first i thought they were plastic and if i'm honest i think i'd have rather them be plastic because they probably would yeah. be at the price point but um, mm. they are nice heads yeah they are they are cool um they're a lot like the templar brethren um but i think what's really cool about these is that you know i hope we see other legions as well um with sons of horus and imperial fist sort of being the the, the the poster boys for the the new heresy box i'd expect maybe some some sons of horus sets announced soon um but then yeah the other legions to follow yeah i'm, I'm sure we will see everything represented obviously we didn't know what the kind of release structure that this is going to look like presumably all the cool stuff that we've seen recently will be out at launch but then it's does this follow the kind of specialist release schedule where every three months we get a book and some cool models if that's the case it won't be too long until we get to see some cool stuff for other rare legions so i think that's that's pretty exciting and then finally in the news we learned a little bit more about the uh, the league of votan the, uh, the 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 squats for want of a better word we talked on the podcast a few weeks ago now about some history, how, you know, they, they come from the dark age of technology and they'd retained a lot of this stuff when humanity was deeming it tech heresy and, you know, you shouldn't trust AI and the like. And um, yeah, due to that, the technology has evolved down a different path than um, the, the, the forces of the Imperium. So uh, back in back in the year 30,000, we saw an awful lot of Volkite tech, but unfortunately the ways of creating this has fallen to the midst of time. The, uh, the, the, the Leagues of Otan still create new Volkite weapons, heat rays to strip the flesh off a man, which sounds horrific. They also invented ion technology and sold that to the Tau. So, you know, how <laughs> think they're the cool kids with all their guns. The Leagues of Votan actually invented it. Um, and there's a tantalising tease in the articles where um, the, the Leagues of Votan use plasma fields to augment and extend blades. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited for the new Obi-Wan mm. series. So to think that the, uh, the Leagues of Votan have lightsabers is, uh, is rather exciting. Dwarfs with lightsabers. Well, you've seen that scene with Yoda. In, um... Exactly, yeah. Jeez. Can you imagine if we if we have a lightsaber wielding squat close combat unit, I think <laughs> we might just lose it. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you win Warhammer forty K. That's <laughs> how that's how the galaxy ends. Yeah. So yeah, it's so quite an exciting Play right. Can so we do a sound check, please? Sound check on uh, Andy's <laughs> mic. <laughs> You can't, you can't. Mm. <laughs> oh, I need to put my paintbrush down now. I'm laughing too much. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> Try and restore some order. Um, yeah, excellent. Um, really looking forward to, to seeing more Votan stuff. Um, it's not quite 
grab me as I expected. Um, but there's, I think there's a, there's fair, an awful lot more two, to see. We've seen two models. We've seen one infantry and and a woman on a bike. Yeah, yeah, a lot more to see yet. A lot more to. See. Um, does that bring us to the to the end of the news map? It does indeed. Excellent. So I think it's time we you know step into the for a brand new battle box so again we'll be right back so for the one of the podcast we're going to be delving into the latest battle box for age of sigma and that is of course echoes of doom which back at the beginning of this podcast me and jay um said we, we both kind of split and started painting um jay let's 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 give our, our very first impressions of this box what did you think of the silver f half so models wise uh, obviously the the new models in the set were the gossamer archers which are like your tree revenants uh, with bows that are carried by um the spite uh, what they call spite no zephyr spites which um if you remember when we got the arch revenant model which was like a silver f um lieutenant e captain type um unit had a zephyr spite on his back so he's got the spear the shield and the wings on the back uh this is these 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 bugs like carry the tree tree revenants basically on with bows um which is brilliant i mean when we first saw the um is it the ilfaris guardians which was the silver mm. f warband for underworlds they was a that was an underworlds warband made up of tree revenants and there was a caster tree revenant in there there were two sort of like warrior tree revenants and then there was an archer tree revenant and I remember, we must have talked about it at the time, how cool would it be if you could take units of Tree Revenants with bows? Um, no one thought how cool would it be to take a unit of Tree Revenants with bows carried into battle by bugs, which is like <laughs> ten times cooler. Um, the models themselves are brilliant. They were really, really um, easy to put together. Um, Sylvaneth are quite, are a bit like your Slanesh mat or, you know, darker, quite fiddly and spiking twigs and things all over the shop. But, but actually, it was an enjoyable experience building them. Um, and... There's not a lot of customization whilst you're putting them together. Um, you sort of have to put them together in that, those poses. You get a bit of flexibility in terms of what what spite uh, zephyr spite you can attach to the back of each one. Um, and there's also like the um, I can't remember what they're called quiver bugs or something uh, quiverlings that was it, uh, which are the bugs that are sort of attached to the legs with the arrows in for their bows. Uh, you can decide which ones you want to attach to which to which um, which gossamer archer. Um, well, yeah, really, really nice. And I have enjoyed painting them. Um, and I definitely want to add another unit to, to the army when, when they're released. Um, the other new model in the in the set then was, of course, the, the Lady of Vines, which is the new um, sort of named character for the Sylvan F, um, Alariel's literal right hand. So actually, funnily enough, this Lady of Vines has been in the uh, game for quite a while. Um, in the first Sylvan F battle tome, back when we had... Um, all those really cool battalions, and then if you remember in those first books, there were there were I can't remember, there were super battalions, like really huge. You could never use them in an actual game. It was like three, four thousand mm. points worth of models. Um, and there was a battalion in the Sylvan F Battle Tome where they were allied with some Stormcast Eternals fighting some Nurgle. So you could put that army together. And there was a branch uh, wraith in there, which, if you remember the branch wraiths, they were the uh, the dryad sort of casters that first came out with the wood elves in Warhammer Fantasy. And mm. the Lady of Vines, who was still the right hand of Alariel, was actually represented by a branch wraith in that in that battalion. Um, but she's been well watered because obviously she's massive now. She's um, 
maybe two thirds the size of a regular tree tree lord, um, and also a really really fun model to um, to build and paint. So this one was a bit trickier. There are some fiddly bits that you have to sort of get together in between the vines and things. And you have to be careful handling the model. But once it's built and put together, it was quite easy to paint. I didn't find I had to build it in sub-assemblies and paint it in sub-assemblies. It, it, it was quite straightforward to paint. Um, and I really like the aesthetic of this model. It ties quite nicely into the Alariel model and some of the armor plates that Alariel wears. You can, uh, uh, this model is also got sculpted on. Um, so yeah, I really, really like this. And, and then yeah, it almost has like a Keeper of Secrets type feel to it. It's quite a, quite mm. a dynamic looking model with its, the vines like swooping around. I, I, I very much prefer this, this model to the... Um, the Warsong Revenant, which is you remember the previous Sylvaneth model we had with the um, the Broken Realms, wasn't it? Came out between the Broken Realms books, which is like the Piper Revenant. Mm. Um, this one is a much much nicer model, I think. I, I, when I had a, a, a feel of this model, it felt a bit more substantial than I expected. I, I was like, mm. I was really scared of holding it, but actually, it, it, it feels like quite a nice um, build. But yeah, I was taken back by how big she was. She, she was she yeah. was bigger than I thought she was going to be. I didn't think she was a small model, but she was she was much bigger. She and like you said, she looks sinister. Like she's probably one of the most sinister looking models in the army. Yeah, yeah, she does look um, very aggressive. Yeah, she reminds me of um, Sigvold. Like when I when I look at the Lady of Vines, I look at I I think she is stupid as this is to say. The, the Sylvaneth version of Sigvold in terms of like the base is the same sort of size it's got that dramatic character look to the model and yeah I mean I'm not a massive fan of the Sylvaneth but when I saw this model yeah, again same thing with Sigvold I love that model and yeah the Lady of the Vines I think it's probably the best looking Sylvaneth model I've seen I mean, I, I personally think out of the two new kits that we've seen in this box, I actually slightly prefer the Gossamid um, archers. And I could definitely see myself having like a Path to Glory army starting with these guys and uh, an Arch Revenant who you touched upon, who's, who's very much in keeping with that look. Mm, yeah. um, I think that would make a great start, a Path to Glory army. Um, so obviously you had those two new kits. And um, to round out the Silver Knife half, you did get some some older kits, but fair to say... These models still look awesome. Yeah, so that's it. You get a you get a box of Colonel Hunters and um, uh, the Tree Lord, um, who you can build as a um, uh, what with a Tree Lord or the um, Ancient or Durfu. Yeah, uh, and also the, the the Hunters. You get the options for the scythes and, and the swords. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the Tree Lord model itself, I think, came out Warhammer Fantasy, so that's an old, old sculpt now, but still stands up. Um, mm. And the, the Colonel Hunters obviously came out with Age of Sigmar 1 when the Sylvan F were, were first released. I really like the Colonel Hunter uh, models. They're, they are quite um, iconic. Mm. I mean, they were almost mini-heroes, weren't they, when they first came out with, the, with their profiles and things, but yeah. Yeah. I think at this point, before I talk through the Skaven half of the box, I think it's important to know, because um, you touched upon it then, that these are the full multi-part kits for these. So on the Echoes of Doom box, it shows the Spirit of Defu and it shows the Kernoff Hunters with the bows. But you do get all the options to build them in their alternate builds. It's just the, the contents of the box are like the War Scrolls that are included. They only include the ones with the bows, I believe. Um, yeah. So 
and, and the instructions only show you how to build the ones with the bows. But absolutely, if you get hold of the instructions, just the general ones, if you've already got a Durfu, you could, you know, build it as a tree lord or a tree lord ancient. Um, absolutely no problems. Um, so the Skaven Half, um, we, we don't get as much new stuff, um, but we do get a new model in the shape of a Deathmaster. So technically, this is the first time we've had a Deathmaster in plastic because a few weeks ago we did have the Warhammer Underworlds, which um, had um, Escher assassins in there, but they weren't a replacement for the, the Deathmaster model. And this is, he's in a very dynamic pose. He was so much fun to build and paint. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I struggled to put him down when I was painting him, to be honest. I painted him quite quickly because I was just really enjoying it. Really enjoyed doing his base. Really enjoyed sort of doing the dripping poison off him. Um, if you enjoyed painting the Underworlds Warband, you'll absolutely enjoy painting this guy. Um, he, he kind of follows that same kind of vein. Um, but that, unfortunately, is our only new model for the Skaven side. Uh, the rest of them are, are fairly old now. Um, I think they're still pretty cool. Um, you get a, a unit of clan rats, you get 20 of those. Um, simple to build, straightforward, they're, they're rats. Uh, and you also get 10 storm vermin as well. Um, again, a very classic kit, but I think it still stands up just about today. And then the centerpiece of the Skaven half is the Gracier on Screaming Bell, which you could as we just discussed, alternatively build uh, as a plague furnace. You would just need to get the instructions for that. Um, but I think the, the, the Screaming Bell is is the better of the two choices, personally. Does the, um, does the kit not include the options, then? Uh, sorry, the instructions not include the uh, way to build the plague furnace, then? No. No, it only shows you how to build the Screaming Bell. Um, same with the Kernel Hunters. It only shows you... I could be wrong, Jay, but I'm sure it only shows you the way of building them with bows. doesn't show you any of the alternative builds. Yeah, I don't um, have the instructions here, Dave. I think you might have them now. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident. It only shows you the the, the one option, the options box. But it's very easy to find the alternative instructions. I was going to say, yeah, if you um, want to build the alternative options, the um, Games Workshop customer service team, I emailed them the other week about um, the Frostlord and Stonehorn. Uh, instruction guide because it only comes one way in the start collecting box and within about a day of me sending that email they sent me the pdf document with all the alternative builds so if you want to build the the kernel hunters with swords or sides if you email the games workshop customer service team i'm sure they're you know they'll send you the uh yeah, the instructions customer service is like second to none they are very very good they did that for me within half a day of me asking for the Carrion Empire, the Skaven half of that box. I had a digital PDF of the assemblies for those um, within a few hours. So, yeah, top marks, top marks there. Awesome. So this box uh, clocks in at £115. Now, just miniatures-wise, ignoring rules, kind of how much stuff do we get in here? So I, I had a look. I totted it up before the podcast. So some of these are based on models of that we would put as like alternatives. So I've put just to give a breakdown: the Silver Death Half, the Lady of Vines. I priced at thirty-five pounds. Durfu we know clocks in at forty-two fifty. The Gossamid Archers I've priced around thirty pounds, and the Kernoff Hunters at thirty-six. So that brings 
just the Sylvaneff half of this box, based on Games Workshop pricing, £143.50. Which is good. Just for the the Sylvaneff half. Just for the Sylvaneff half. If we then take the Skaven half, I've priced the Assassin at £18. The Grey Seer on Bell at £42.50. The Clan Rats are £26 and the Storm Vermin are £35, which makes the Skaven half the box based on the Games Workshop RRP at £121.50. Now, I, I know obviously there's an argument here that, you know, are a unit of Clan Rats really worth £26? That's what their RRP is. So that's what I'm basing it on. And obviously you can get them slightly cheaper from sites such as Element and, and, and things like that. But based on the total Games Workshop RRP, if you were to buy all these kits from the Games Workshop web store, it'd be £265. Which, really good. Really yeah. good. It's I think it's one of the... I mean, all the Age of Sigmar boxes, I mean, amazing value. But for, I guess, the, the Skaven side is a core of an army. The Sylvanus side, I don't believe anything in the box currently has the battle line uh, option, do no. they? No. So we would need some more bits. Now, that's not to say that in the new battle tome, though, that Kernoth or Gossamers have the option to be battle line. As I mentioned in my um, review, I think with this box, like the Sylvanus half is perfect for those new to Sylvanus. You know, especially if you're going down the path to glory route, all for expanding a Sylvaneth army. Whereas the Skaven, if you're already an experienced Skaven player, you've probably got all the clan rats in the world and maybe even quite a few storm vermin. Um, but it, this, you know, it'd still make a, it'd make a fantastic starter army for the Skaven players. And hopefully, new battle tomes, which we know are on the way for both armies. Um, we might see quite a few people picking these up. Um, I've definitely seen more activity in the Skaven Facebook groups off the back of Echoes of Doom. Um, hopefully it's a good omen that we're going to have a pretty good book. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, so before, obviously, we talk about War Scrolls, which is obviously a big element of, of you know what a lot of people are going to be interested in from this box. Just a quick shout out for the rest of the, the contents of the box. It comes with a very nicely presented supplement. Um, which talks you through the lore of both armies, um, both collectively and individually. So ideal if you're, if you're brand new to Age of Sigmar, brand new to both of these armies. Um, you do get the War Scroll card separate, but they are also repeated in this book as well, as well as a little mini campaign with free battle plans. You've probably got, what, an afternoon's worth of gaming there, but... I think that's quite fun. I, I actually um, watched a Rerolling Ones video. They're a, they're a popular YouTube channel for Age Sigma, and they did um, a video where they played through the narrative missions from the, what was the Fire Slay one that came out last? Oh, Fire in the Deep. Something. For, yeah, yeah. The they they did a video just playing through those those little narrative battles, and I thought it was a really good idea um, and really a really fun sort of you know, straightforward afternoon's worth of gaming. Um, so that's nice. Um, you also get a very cool little mini core rule book, um, which is super handy. I know you took yours to the last tournament, Matt. It is handy to sling in your bag. Um, yeah. Obviously, in the general's handbook, you do get the core rules in there, but it just there's something like, I think, back. remember when 7th oh, edition fantasy, maybe, and they started bringing out those little mm. kind of small format paperback rule books? 
that as, as much as I like, and I've got the big collector's edition Sigmar rule book, the big leather bound Warhammer Fantasy rule book. I like those as, like a, as a nice thing to keep, but it's not really something you can just sling in your tournament bag, is it? No, absolutely not, no. Um, and then uh, to round out the box, you get some cool tokens um, with some basic kind of Mystic Shield tokens on there. Um, some of the new kind of third edition um heroic abilities and stuff objective markers and, and so on um and some some nine inch rulers as well so it's it, it's a good it's a good box um for starting off it doesn't come with any dice but i'm sure you can pick up some dice um but yeah a really nice sort of starter box that you can split with somebody um but i think to, to round off um this kind of chat about the box we're, we're gonna have to have a quick chat about the the war scrolls because this is peak uh, potentially where we're going to be going with the new battle tames. Um, I think you've mentioned before in the past, Matt, that these aren't kind of set in stone. We may yet see changes between these War Scrolls and the book, but they're pretty much That's there, right. aren't they? Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. We've had things in the past where the War Scrolls completely changed between the old book and the new book. Um, for comparison with the um, the, the Night Haunt. Um, Doors that came on the most recent one. There's a few things on both sides where they've changed since the main book comes out, and it's because we're missing a big piece of the puzzle, and that's the army abilities. Like Nighthaunt, for example, yeah. has a load of changes to the army abilities. So while it's good to, I guess, base this on what we know now, it's always worth to think what may be in the new book when you're looking at this. Yes, and I actually, I think, I think I'll start with the Skaven half talk about the War Scrolls because I think that ties quite nicely onto the first unit I'm going to very quickly look at, and that's the Grey Seer on Screaming Bell. So his War Scrolls quite, changed quite a lot, and the first thing that jumped out at me is he used to have an, a 13-inch aura of Battleshock um, immunity. That's now gone. He doesn't have that ability anymore. So you I was very quick to kind of go, oh, no, you know, is Battleshock going to be a real big problem with the Skaven? Because the, there were certain ways of negating it, and, and this was a big part of that. Um, but as you say, Matt, there's, there's probably nothing to worry about. Hopefully there'll be something in a battle trait or something within the, the, the full battle tone which will um, make up for the fact that your Screaming Bell no longer has this bubble uh, of immunity. Um, he still has his... Oh, sorry, um, I mean, we, we might also be setting it up for future editions because the Daughters of Cain, um, their Witch Brew massively changed. And one of the big changes was it lost that immunity to Battleshock. So I, I wonder if they're uh, doing that sort of theme with the third edition Battle Tomes or they're taking away all these immunity to Battleshock bubbles effectively and special rules and stuff like that so that maybe going into fourth edition who knows maybe we get like a morale system like in 40k where instead of losing big chunks of your army to a failed morale test now mm. it's um you know you might have 10 guys out of 30 that are left running away and the rest are all fine so uh, yeah it's difficult isn't it because when you look at these in isolation it looks like a massive nerf but again, like you said, the, the battle tone might come out and, and that changes. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so quickly going through this, he's still got his save, which, which is great. He still gets um, plus two, two um, assist to casting. 
downsides you can only cast um, I think Andy you actually said maybe they've taken into consideration the arcane tome um, I would have liked a two two cast Grace here on Screaming Bell but never mind um, he does have an ability though that um, once during your game he can instead be treated as a priest instead of a wizard which I don't think we've ever seen That's before in Sigma. Um, so as no, obviously, of course, other beasts can do, such mm. as hand out ward saves and and, and the like. This, yeah, that's that's very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So that's on there. Um, his axe, the rope. He's been really a combat beast. Um, he still has cracks call. His um, spell, as far as I'm aware, that's that's exactly the same. Um, his doom. So when you smack the old bell, and um, that's changed completely um no longer do you roll two dice you just roll one d6 and you get one of six abilities um so you've got uh, on a one you suffer d3 mortal wounds don't roll a one you're rolling that consistently probably kill my own grace here <laughs> um on a two you add six inches to the move characteristic on a three um until the next area phase you're subtracting one from hit rolls for attacks made by enemy units that within 13 inches of screaming bell on a four, until your next hero phase, you roll the dice each time an enemy model is picked to issue a command within 13 inches. On a five plus, that command cannot be issued. So that's pretty good, especially in the new edition. Uh, a five, um, until your next hero phase, you can charge me one enemy unit within one inch and roll a dice. On a two plus, it's off, that unit suffers D6 mortal wounds, uh, which is pretty scary. And on a six, which used to be summon a vermin lord it's now apocalyptic doom at the end of this hero phase roll a dice for each enemy unit that's been 13 inches on a four plus that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds so you may be thinking ah oh, can't summon a vermin lord anymore well you can so what you can choose to do now bell is you can choose to destroy it you choose to destroy it you roll the d6 and add the amount of wounds taken on your grace here if that value equals 13 or more, you get yourself a vermin lord. So, so it's worth time that this is destroying the uh, the bell of the screen yeah. bell, not the entire model. No. So yeah. So you lose you lose cracks call as an ability. Um, you lose obviously the bell, uh, and you can no longer use the peel of doom. But you've still got your grace here, so you can still cast you one spell. Not the one off the war scroll, but you know whatever one he's got in, in your mystic shield and stuff, um, and he's still a model. But the actual bell itself is 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 technically damaged. But you get yourself a vermin lord of your choice. Um, so what's cool about this is you've you you, you to summon it as long as you've just got to time it right. Really, if you if you've only got one or two wounds left, you're guaranteed to get a vermin lord. But obviously, a clever opponent is going to try the best not to leave you with one or two wounds. The one in dead. How many um, how many wounds do they have on their profile? Fifteen wounds. Fifteen wounds. So you've got a bit of. Yeah, I mean, you need thirteen. So on seven wounds, a six, it'd go off. Mm. Ten wounds plus. Uh, you're probably worth taking that gamble to get a free vermin lord, aren't you? Because realistically, once you're at that point, the following turn, you're probably dead anyway. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's really like that. Um, I need to pick up a, a vermin lord anyway. Absolutely sealed deal. So yeah, he's been through some some interesting 
changes. He's the most changed um, War Scroll from the Skaven half. Um, I'll very quickly talk about that. Um, he is much better than he was in the book. Um, I before that the assassin, he just didn't live up to his name. Like, I never looked at him as part of his, it, you know, he'd pop up like Sarah, but uh, he, he wouldn't do anything meaningful. meaningful. Um, he in units and storm vermin and pops out at the start of the combat phase. Um, but the big thing with him, him is all his attacks by and um, his missile weapons, any unmodified hit will D3 mortal wounds uh, and then. So just in that chance of dealings on, on anything, especially when you consider he's got five attacks and five ranged attacks. So in turn, you've potentially got 10 additions. So he, he has got that scary potential now, killing a small or something like that, which is exactly from an assassin. So that's a perfect change. It seems so simple, but it's perfect. Um, it's good. Um, so yeah, he, he's cool. The clan rats and the storm vermin have changed a little bit. Clan rats, not so much. Um, they have, have gone up to a plus save. So they were six plus previously. Um, to save doesn't matter how um armed if you've got the shields or not um still have an extra inch range of years over blades their attack and wound characteristics are the same the extra thing they've got war scroll aside from that five plus save is at the, the end of battle shock phase yours and your opponents you d3 rats um so you're getting two cool. so you basically like d back every turn as long as safe, obviously. Adding <laughs> that two D three, two D three rats is, is more, so that's pretty good, really. Mm. It triggers every battle shock phase. Mm. Well, yeah, because it's worded um, end of the battle shock phase. It doesn't say your battle yeah. shock phase; it just says the battle shock phase. Um, yeah, that's cool. But that, that's, that's all their changes. Uh, Storm vermin—they've got up to a save. Um, again, regardless if you give them the shields or not. Um, strangely, their halberds, long, pointy halberds. It's to a one inch reach. I don't know why they've done um, But they are now freeze and freeze. Well, I, I think the reason why they're, they're still on a one inch reach is because they're still on those 25 mil bases. Um, if you put them up to a two inch reach, then. Yeah, that's You've an... got to be getting half as many attacks as a unit of uh, witch elves, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, almost. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so they've now got a one inch reach with the halberds. And they certainly, yeah, they're hitting on freeze, wounding on freeze now. Good, buying one damage. Um, their only other change is that they've now got an elite body goal. So if a Skaven heroes have been freed, before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to that hero, or instead of making a save for that hero, dice, yeah. And two of them has the clan keyword, and on a four plus, the wound is allocated to this unit instead and cannot be negated. Um, so you're gonna get, you know, you could possibly clear a lot of your storm vermin, but you're gonna be, you know, your lords are alive for much longer, or your death masters, for example. Um, so yes, um, I, I really storm vermin. I think well worth taking there with a four plus save and that freeze to hit instead of four. Um, and I've 
the sneaking feet be quite a fourth of them as well. Because um, the, 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 uh, not in the previous books, we see everything's not very popular. The previous book tends to get buffed quite a bit in book land. So we'll see. That's next. Because um, I think they're going to do a few changes. Um, Jay, do you want to go through some of the Silver Nef side? Yeah. Um, well, I'm playing a trick on myself because oh, they're there. Why did they get over there? I had all the water scroll cards in front of me, and then I've just looked up, and they're no longer in front of me. They're right behind me on the map. I don't know how they Bullfish got there. mischief. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we've got four new water scrolls uh, in the box: um, Kernoff Hunters with Kernoff Great Bows, the Spirit Derfu, Lady Vines, and Gosmid Archers. So if we look at the the two sort of returning water scrolls first: the Kernoff Hunters and the Spirit Derfu. Um, I actually like the changes to the Kernoff Hunters with Kernoff Greatbow's um, War Scroll. I like all but one of the changes. Um, so the the uh, obviously these guys are armed with a with a massive, almost like siege bow, thirty inch range bow. Uh, this profile is is very similar to the existing profile. So two attacks at thirty inches, hitting on fours, wounding on threes, rend minus one. But now it has a flat damage of two. Uh, instead of D3, which is great, I think. It's a bit more reliable damage. And that's actually a theme we see across all of the, the new War Scrolls in the um, in the Sylvan of Half. The Spirit uh, of Durfu has had similar sort of changes. Um, whether that stays the same with the new Battle Tome or not, I don't know. I hope so. Um, another good thing about the War Scroll is the Colonel Hunters used to have a, an ability called Tangle Root Thicket, I think it was called, and basically at the beginning of the combat phase or, or end of the charge phase, one of the two, um, you could decide to sort of sacrifice some piling uh, distance for a buff to your save, a plus one to your save, uh, which took your four plus save to a three plus save. Uh, back in the day, it used to be a re-roll your save, actually, re-roll your four plus save. Um, that rule has gone, and instead your Colonel Hunters now have a three plus save base, which is great. These are guys who've got five wounds each and a three plus save. You're casting Mystic Shield on them or, or all-out defense. You, you, you're two-plus save there. That's really cool. Um, the weird thing on the um, on the War Scroll is the champion, uh, so your Hunt Master. Uh, and this used to, I believe, um, give you plus one to hit. So your your Kernoff Bow, Great Bow, was, was hitting on a three-plus with your Hunt Master. Now it just adds one to the attacks characteristic of the model's melee weapon. And obviously the Kernel Hunters don't have any melee weapons armed with great bows. What they have instead is the quivelings, the little bugs on the floor, which get to attack with the vicious claws, which it's not a bad attack profile. Three attacks, three plus to hit, three plus to wound, no rend, one damage. Um, but it would have been nice to see the, the buff to the, to the to bow rather than the, uh, the the little quivelling on the base. Um, they've still got their trample underfoot rule, which is at the end of the combat phase, you roll a dice for each model in this unit on a four plus, you can do a mortal wound to a nearby enemy unit. That's not changed. Envoys of the Everqueen, however, has changed. So Kernoff hunters have always had a really cool rule where they could almost act as like relays or synapse creatures from the, if you compare them to the Tyranids, uh, where they can extend the range of command abilities and things like that from heroes in the army. So you could send these off leading a vanguard and you could still buff your, your units nearby them. Um, they still get a variation of that rule. So what happens now is when a friendly Sylvaneth hero issues an all-out attack or all-out defense command uh, from anywhere on the board, uh, you can pick a, a Sylvaneth unit that's um, within six inches of, of a Kernoff Hunter's unit, uh, roll a dice, and on a four plus, they get that command as well, even if they've already received the command. Um, 
Now, I think the word is a bit woolly here, and I expect this will be FAQ'd or errated or maybe updated in the battle tome itself, because the way it's written means you can stack sort of command abilities on, I mean, only all-out attack and all-out defense, on the same unit. Uh, you can use multiple Kurnoff Hunters to extend that ability to multiple units. Um, there's no limitation on the amount of Kurnoff Hunters that can prop that ability. Um, but, I mean, it's great, you know, having a unit that can all-out attack and all-out defense at, at the same time is really, really cool. Or, or all-out attack and, you know, another command ability that you may have in your army. So, yeah, so it's a really cool um, War Scroll, I think, for the Kurnoff Hunters with great bows. Um, I know they're... Scythes, which is one of the melee weapons you can equip Kernoff Hunters with, they have a D3 damage um, profile, I think. So it'll be interesting to see whether they get the flat 2 damage as well on their Scythes, which will make them amazing. Um, so that's the Kernoff Hunters. Uh, the Spirit Durfu has had some good changes as well. So now has more wounds, 14 wounds instead of 12 wounds. Um, and the, 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 the standout sort of... Um, Part of the spirit of Durfu's war scrolls has always been his guardian sword, which, I mean, nowadays you get some bonkers damage profiles out there. But back in the day when Age of Sigmar launched, this flat six damage sword was sort of quite unique, I think, across across a lot of the, uh, mm. the different models and armies in the game. Um, the, guardian sword, his, the damage profile for, for, for the spirit of Durfu is a lot more forgiving now. So I think previously... If you suffered two wounds or three wounds, that six flat damage decreased to D6 straight away. Now, you have to have suffered seven wounds before it drops to D6, um, which is brilliant. Yeah, especially when you think the the, the, hunt, the, the Spirit of Diffie's got those two extra wounds to begin with as well. Um, so I really like that. The damage table is a really, really cool change for, for this War Scroll. Uh, other than that... Everything else is is pretty pretty similar. The uh, massive impaling talons is no longer a. This used to be an ability you could use where if you were wounded a model with this massive impaling talon, uh, you could roll a dice and there was a chance you could slay that model, just remove that model from play. That ability has now disappeared completely, and instead the massive impaling talons just have a bit of a buff damage profile. You get a couple attacks with them, free damage, run two. It's quite cool. Um, the other um, cool thing about uh, the Spirit of Urfu, is the change to the ground shaking stomp. So this is an ability that all of the sort of Tree Lord variants shared. And what you could do at the start of the combat phase is, is pick an enemy unit within three inches, roll a dice on a four plus, that target enemy unit uh, fought last, basically. You slowed them down. And um, you could you could sort of chain multiple Tree Lords to, 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 to target multiple enemy units and try and get that spell off. It only went off on a 4+, that ability, sorry. It only went on a 4+, so it wasn't super reliable, and it, it never went off when you needed it to go off. Um, that's now changed, uh, and it's now a, a type of monstrous rampage that triggers on a 3+. So it's a bit more reliable in that it goes off now on a 3+. The, the end effect's still the same, the target enemy unit fights last. But I guess with it being a monstrous rampage, only one of your tree lord sort of models can do it, rather than all of your tree lords. So it's a bit of a trade-off, really. It's it's more reliable. You're probably going to get it off on that unit you need to get it off, but you can't get it off on multiple units anymore. Um, the spirit Derfu can still um, can still teleport around using the spirit's path ability, but this is where we maybe get a clue as what we might see in the new battle tome. So. Ordinarily, the Spirit Path would allow a Spirit of Durfu that was within range of a Wildwood, Awakened Wildwood, to um, teleport to another Awakened Wildwood on the board, uh, nine inches away from the enemy. Um, what we see now is that that um, the Spirit of Durfu has to be within range of an Awakened Wildwood or an overgrown terrain feature. Mm -hmm. um, 
which mm-hmm. makes me think there may be some change coming to the way the Sylvaneth army works and interacts with Wildwoods and now overgrown terrain features. And I think as well on the Lady of Vines um, War Scroll, there's another reference to the overgrown terrain features. So I don't know what you guys think about that. Well, this is something we've, we've talked about on the show before, isn't it? That negative play experience for Sylvaneth was the flooding the board with... Um trees and obviously that that was neutered once third came out when there was limitations for where you could actually place uh summon terrain army terrain that kind of stuff and if they've got an ability to to change a piece of enemy terrain into a silver piece of terrain that's great i mean we've seen the mega gargants um can can destroy faction terrain can't they yeah yeah there has been lots of different units interacting with terrain now yeah so if you could, let's say, for example, my um, corn uh, altar thing, if you can give that the Sylvanus keyword and this overgrown terrain keyword, it still retains its original army bonus, but now you can use that as a summoning point. That's that's really interesting, especially in these armies like Slanesh, corn, where you can leave those unattended as a little summoning nexus. If a tree man can just pop his head out of it, Suddenly, I might need to leave some guys nearby to defend it. Mm. And equally, a lot of those pieces get put down in your own territory. And in scenarios where you're trying to make a quick jump at the enemy's lines, yeah, suddenly your your scenery piece could become a bit of a liability if you've got ways of um, Mm. manipulating it. Yeah, I think. Uh, Yeah, yeah, so my, my only slight concern about this is i mean we went to the um not throne of schools throne of schools fondy event at the weekend uh not this weekend gone the weekend before and i didn't use scenery rules once so there wouldn't have been any overgrown scenery on the board and i think if you asked majority of age sigma players they probably play at the minute without using any of the scenery rules so i I wonder how much that will affect the Silver Neff when you actually come to, you know, may, maybe playing a game or whatever. Like obviously playing a game in club, your friends or whatever, that's fine. But at an event or something like that, where they don't enforce scenery rules, I, I don't know how much that will actually impact those sort of well, rules. I think in the case of in the case of the Sylvanith rules, though, I think that Trump not following senior rules as it's an army ability. So you can play as, yeah, this wild wood, this wood doesn't do anything when you walk through it. However, if there's something that specifically makes that into a Sylvanith unit, then I absolutely think that that would trump that. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I, I think, know, I think, I think you'd have to have a conversation. I mean, as written, the, the game rules are that you use those mysterious terrain rules. I know a lot of people don't. But strictly speaking, that is part of the rules, isn't it? In a match player there. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely one of those. You, you're going to have to have a conversation with your opponent and just say, you know, my rules interact with overgrown scenery. Which scenery pieces? So we say are overgrown. And, and so, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. And it is a cool interaction with the, the scenery rules. So. Absolutely. So then we um, we come on to the new War Scrolls in the set. So the Gossamin Archers are, are, are the first new one. Um, and these are these are quite a, a cool sort of War Scroll, really. So on the face of it, they're quite fragile, 
two wounds each with a five plus save, bravery six. So, you know, they're not the, the toughest or most resilient of units. Uh, they do have a movement of 12, though, which is which is really good. Um, they got some with bows. Also, only quite short range, range 12. Um, two attacks, which is nice. Three plus to hit, three plus to wound. No rend, though, and only one damage. So I don't think you can rely on these to do a lot of damage with just that basic Gossamid bow um, attack. That said, they do have a cool ability that triggers on a six to hit. Um, the, the target instead suffers D3 mortal wounds. So you're getting... Yeah, you're getting 10 attacks from this unit. So you're obviously fishing for sixes to try and trigger those D3 mortal wounds. And I think in isolation, I don't think I don't think you can rely on that. I think you may find yourself let down and the Gossamid Archers are not doing the damage you're expecting or hoping they'll do. Whether there's some interaction with the Battle Tome when we see it, ways to um, re-roll those hits or ways to, similar to the Luminef, for example, who can change their um, Sunmetal ability to proc on a 5-plus to hit rather than 6-plus. I think if you can make that more reliable, then these become a terrifying ranged unit, even with well, their, just the range of 12. I mean, I mean, I think they already are super, super terrifying. Take a reinforced unit of them, and they can just kill whatever support character they want on average. I never thought about reinforcing. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't think we need any. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't think we need any bonuses. Amazing, and if, especially if they can be taken as battle line, I can see a lot of these on the table, and they're quick as well. Well, they are quick, and the other sort of gimmick they've got, which is also very cool, is that um, they can um, they can do a really really cool sort of retreat move. So basically, if you were to charge this unit or, or, or um, uh, trigger their unleash hell. Uh, once you've resolved your Unleash Hell, which of course you're not worried about that negative hit modifier when you're when you're fishing for sixes to hit, um, on a two plus they can then uh, retreat. So they they take the charge, they Unleash Hell, they they potentially do a bunch of mortal wounds to an enemy that's charging them. On a two plus they then retreat and they're not in combat and they they just keep bouncing around the board like that. Um, mm. You want to take these guys out at range. So obviously these guys have to get within 12 inches of you and they've only got that 5 plus save and 2 wounds. So you want to be shooting these or, or casting spells at these guys. You don't want to be charging them. Definitely not. No. Well, I, I already can think. Reinforce unit of them. Take a um, Cron Spine Incarnate just behind them. Shoot, fall back, send in the Incarnate, pin him in place. Your guys can just pepper them with gunfire them for the entirety of the game. Yeah. Cool. So um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, and I, I do like the sort of mobile aspect to them as well. It's quite uh, quite a, a, the Sylvan for quite a mobile army anyway, and teleporting around the revenants can teleport around. You've got the teleporting between the trees and things, and this is just another movement gimmick they've got. Very what, nice. What Eddie actually mentioned, Eddie or um, Adam mentioned during the during the streams, a different of mobility because you've already mentioned that the wild woods are a bit of a fiddly aspect. You have to have the Scenery. And you could build a Sylvan F army that isn't reliant on those, so you put your mobility. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to to see how that plays on the tabletop because some armies obviously just don't have any shooting, but the fact that you can then move, because I'm assuming that their movement's about movement 12, 12 inches. Yeah. Um, the fact that yeah movement 12 yeah the fact that you can unleash hell and then move 12 inches 
I, it kind of almost feels like um, the wind spirits for Luminev in the sense that it could potentially cause some negative play experience. You know, if you move, you move these guys up three inches away from opponent, block off a po- portion of a board, then you charge them and then they fly away. And, you know, you've effectively only moved three inches up a board, haven't you? So I, uh, I like them. I do really like them, but I'm going to be interested to see how people run them in armies, how many they take. You know, you said take a, a reinforced unit of them. Well, uh, considering they do sixes on mortals, that's a. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the points are, but I assume the They're points quite are quite. Expensive. You know, they they're are not quite cheap. Expensive in- with the points in the box, but whether that's going to be the, the final points cost or not, we'll have to see, won't we? Uh, I mean, I guess I guess the difference between the, the, the wind spirits for the Lumineth is they move in the opponent's shooting phase, um, and uh, they do move 12 inches, I think, um, whereas here it, they, they can only move on a 2-plus after an Unleash Hell um, ability, uh, command ability has been issued. So obviously only one unit is going to be able to do this um, jumping back. And that doesn't stop you from charging with a, a second unit. So, um, with with you, you know you you can try and pin these Gosmid archers down in the charge phase, whereas it's a lot harder to pin down a wind spirit, I think. But I do understand what you're saying. Yeah, um, they're a bit more fragile as well, I think, than a wind spirit. Wind spirits have the five plus ward save, although we'll come on to it. <laughs> there are ways to give these five plus ward saves as well. So. Um, and on that note, then, so the, the last war scroll is the Lady of Vines herself, and and this war scroll is just um, brilliant. I, I I can't see a bad thing on this war scroll at all. So she's she's got a respectable um, missile attack that does d6 damage. Um, she's got a respectable range attack, uh, melee attack. Sorry, so I think she gets seven melee attacks, freeze to hit, freeze to wound, minus one rend, and a combination of d3 and two damage. Um, these are at three inch range as well, so I guess this is her vine sort of whipping round. Mm. Um, she's 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 got ten wounds with a three plus save, so she's quite resilient. I mean, if you combo that with all out defense, finest hour and things, you know she's got quite a good save there, um, and quite a lot of wounds. And if you think the Silver F, they've got a lots of ways of um, regening wounds as well. So you know that should keep her in the mm. fight, um, you know, through the, through the game. Um, and there's some cool things on her war scroll as well, which also hint at changes in the battle tome. Um, so the, the, the first one is her uh, Verdian Crown. So friendly Sylvanish units that are wholly within six inches of it are treated as being within six inches of an awakened Wildwood uh, in the army. So this means you can walk her up the board alongside your Tree Lords and your Spirits and Durfu, and they can teleport from her to other, spirit, uh, to other Wildwoods. Um, sometimes in my games, for example, you've struggled to get other Wildwoods down. You've not been able to teleport to a Wildwood because it's in the wrong place. The fact that she acts as almost like a wildwood and gives you that springboard is, is I think, is going to be quite useful in in a game. I like that um, as well. In a lot of your Sylvanith games, you'd kind of turtle up until you get that wood down and then deploy from there. At least this gives you the option of being more aggressive with the army as well. Yeah, um, and I think marching up tree lords and spirits of Durfus alongside it is not a bad tactic because she's got a cool spell, aspect of the Ever Queen. Um, which uh, casting value seven, and basically silver units uh, that are within twelve, in- uh, wholly within twelve inches of her, have a five plus ward save. 
which is something that the um, Sylvaneth lack at the moment. I think only the Warsong Revenant has that ward save of four plus. No other unit in the um, Sylvaneth army has a ward save or can get a ward save outside of your um, artifacts and whatnot that you might have. So is that every um, unit within range of her? Yeah, so it says Aspect of the Evercoon is a spell with a casting value 7 and a range of 12 inches. If successfully cast until your next hero phase, friendly Sylvanith units have a ward save of 5+, plus while they are wholly within range of the caster. That's so I assume really within that 12-inch range. Yeah. That's massive, um, really, isn't it? Yeah, there's a big bubble around her. And, and Tree Lords and Spirits of Deerfus are on quite narrow bases, so you can definitely snack them around her to benefit from that 5-plus ward save. Uh, you know, when you look at Deerfus, you've now got 14 wounds. That's that, you know, 3-plus save, 14 wounds, and a 5-plus um, ward save. Elariel's in the army, so he's healing wounds back every turn anyway, so... Yeah, I really like that. And, and on that point, she is a wizard, and she can cast two spells and unbind two spells, which is also quite good in the Sylvan Farmy because you're, um, outside of a Lariel, you've only got really got your Tree Lord Ancients, and they can only cast one spell. So uh, I do like that as well. Um, she's got two more abilities, which are quite interesting. So the first one is a, a sort of updated version of the Rouse to Wrath ability, which used to be a spell on the branch wraith which you could cast i think on a seven and it would summon 10 dryads now it's an ability that once per battle at the end of the movement phase you can you can roll a dice on a two plus uh you can summon 10 dryads to your army that have to be summoned uh, have to be set up within nine inch wholly uh, within nine inches of an overgrown terrain feature or awakened wildwood so we've got that overgrown terrain feature in again um and nine inches away from enemy units so like i say this used to be a spell called Rouse to Wrath. So I wonder whether the Branch Wraiths will also have a sort of rework of this ability as well, um, which which I quite like. It makes it a bit more reliable. You're not, you know, an enemy can't unbind it. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the Battle Tome. And then lastly... Well, there's, another, there's another benefit to that as well, because you see in the, in the Nighthaunt book, you've got the Mayan Banshees who can just eat spells. They don't even need to unbind them. You just roll over the cast value. So abilities that aren't spells is massive defence against things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lot more reliable, um, even if it's once per battle. You know, if you've got a couple of branch traits in your army, if they all get this ability, then, you know, you, you're going to get those extra dryads down. Um, Riffing Vines is her last ability, and it's, it's basically she can use them to either increase her defences, so she, she subtract one from hit rolls that target her, or um, she can sort of ensnare an enemy, and, and she gets plus one to hit against against those enemies. So taking her, her seven attacks to twos to hit and threes to wound, uh, which is quite cool. Um, so yeah, so that's all the war scrolls. That's all the war scrolls for for the silver. Yeah, really cool um, changes. Um, it, it just gets me, like reviewing this box. It just gets me really excited for the the two battle tomes that are on the horizon. I really hope we don't have to wait till these land because I really want to want to see what else is in store. Um, but overall. Um, it works, um, especially if you've got an interest in either of these armies. Um, I would have liked to have seen a new unit for the Skaven, uh, or maybe even a completely brand new unit. That would have been really cool. But, um, you know, between this release and the Underworld Warband, we've seen Clan Escher get two quite big updates because Underworlds, some of the Warbands aren't working match play game i would argue that that's warband probably one of the ones you do want to take and they're quite expensive but they're doing more than the death master and an awful lot of attacks so i'm definitely trying them 
about um, just refreshes that clan um you know getting people to take assassins again so yeah i think i think that really wraps up this um this segment um things workshop for obviously set box to review we do have the written review and video in bruce.com the link will be in the notes you can check that out at your own leisure including pictures of all the war scrolls and mine and jay's painted models as well so you can check out what they're like um for alternative view um compared to the ones that you've seen over on warcom i think we've done enough talking about the mortal realms for the time being it's time to all different topic with our top three so we're going to take a slight pause and we'll come back So for this week's top three, and for this week's top three, we're going to be picking our favourite paints. So this is an interesting one. And quite as well, paints are kind of my new paints. I've chosen three, and I'm going to change. So for my third choice, I have the aptly named spell. So what this gives you is quite a vibrant lion ball when what um cool looking bronze effect um it's one quite a bit of my skin even but i have also used it quite a lot on stuff like uh, um work really really uh, and a few other kind of mechanical bits and pieces is anybody else play color yeah i, I find it it's it's definitely the the best way in my opinion of getting that nice easy rust effect because you put that down as a base aggro shade over the top and then just dry brush some necron compound and it comes out so nicely it that, that's how i like to do rust yeah yeah it's, it's it's really nice i've used it quite a lot recently mainly on small detail um but yeah i'm a big fan um my second piece uh, is actually more than spray variant and that is great so it's no secret that i'm a big fan of contrast and um fine between i know we contrast a lot of different paints i know matt you use mechanical standard gray quite a bit more contrast yeah i mean when, when i contrast i tend to, to base it and then put in a base color then contrast over it because then you get the best of both worlds um but Myself, I, for example, up my scale of mainly. If I'm going to paint something mainly <clears> contrast, <throat> I like to start with a Gracie or Wraithbone coat. I, I, just Gracie tends to win out those two colours. Like, Wraithbone have not had much success. It's also quite. Gracie just dulls the colours, just, just really. And, and it allows get the effects out of my Skaven. Like, it's so easy. Like if you don't do that much, honestly, you need to contrast. Um, it takes a little bit of practice, right? Not watery. It takes a different kind of control compel paint. I am such a big. Um, best use of them is in is in combination with the rest of the range, for sure. Um, but yeah, starting with an undercoat. I think have created some of the best models that I've painted. Um, honestly, so yeah, big thumbs up for that one. 
And for my top choice, and I'll be very surprised if this doesn't appear in anybody else's top three, but my choice literally takes some models. They're okay to look in epic. And that's Agrax Earth. Agrax Earthshade is magical. See, I've gone off Agrax Earthshade a little bit. I find, I don't know if they've changed the recipe, but I find it, it goes on a bit glossy now. Really? And the finish is a bit glossy. I used to use it a lot. Obviously, it was like a, a replacement for Devil and Mud. But I find Agrax Earthshade, unless I'm mixing it 50-50 with Null Noil for my metal washes, if I just do Agrax Earthshade on its own, it does go glossy. And I noticed it whilst I was painting my Blood Angels because I used to use it to shade my red on my Blood Angels. And then all of a sudden, it started going glossy. And I thought, oh, maybe I've got a bad batch. But then every single pot of Agrax Earthshade I've bought since, so in the last 18 months or so, has been the same. Um, so I tend to now use um, Wildwood thinned with a bit of contrast medium as my Agrax replacement. Um, oh. But I don't know what your experiences are with it. I've had no experience with it. I've not used any recently, though. Now, there is, a, there is a gloss variant of it, and it's not out of the question that maybe a batch got mislabeled or something. Yeah, but I've, I have bought multiple pots from multiple yeah. different stores, and I just, yeah, I don't, don't, See, don't I, find it. The finish is very good anymore. I found recently, um, when I was painting Kragnos, I've been using um, Fugan Orange on the sort of like the orange hair, and for the most part, it went on perfectly fine, normal. And then I did it on one patch of hair, and it came out glossy. And the only difference between doing it was that I didn't mix, uh, didn't um, shake the pot that much when I applied it to the, the bit yeah. that went glossy. So I don't know if it's it's mixing Maybe. it up and stuff. Mm. Well, I think it's it's banned out paint and 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 that more than my Death Guard army, which as a project, I was looking at my Death Guard is probably best painted. Um, that is like like all down the, the death card are looking kind of okay. okay. Just that some aggregates on there and the apps come to life. Um, it works so well with definitely all the kind of colours that I use on them, more like the bronzy colours. A superb wash. Um, always have a pot of it. Um, shall we go to you next, Jay? What, what's free paints? Oh, well, well, I've been painting me in pearl fists recently, um, and um, I can't remember who recommended it to me now. I think it was a fellow purple sparkly unicorns, Colour Forge. Um, they do a, 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 a range of rattle cans, um, which, if you uh, do your research, match some of the game's workshop colours. Um, and obviously from Imperial Fist, I use Avalon Sunset a lot, and there's a Colour Forge, um, I think it's called Sunset. Where is it? It's up there. Let me get the can and give you the actual name in case anybody wants to paint Imperial Fist with the new Horacy. It's the Colourforge Sunset Yellow Matte Finish. Cheaper than the Games Workshop sprays, bigger than the Games Workshop sprays, and gives you that Avalon Sunset base. Very, very good coverage on your models. I just sprayed straight over the plastic or resin. Um, I've gone through two tins now and sprayed nearly 3,000 points of Imperial Fists. Um, so yeah, I, I'm in love with that spray, and I'm, I'm, you know, tempted when I do 
um, a Blood Angels later in the year or, or other um, 40k or Age Sigma armies to see what other colours they've got in their range and use them as my primers. Um, you know, when you're painting like Parama where the, the, the predominantly it's all one colour, I think that they're, they're, they're good time savers. Um, so that's my number three choice. Uh, my number two choice is an odd one. <laughs> and uh, it's so tech green. I just really like the shade, the blue-green shade of it. And I use it a lot mm. on my Eldar gems. I use it a lot on my Elf gems. I use it a lot on my lenses. Um, I've used it on my Adeptus Titanicus. I've used it on my Imperial Fist. I tend to find a use for Sotek Green. On, I've used it on the Sylvaneth on pretty much every model, I, every army I paint. Um, it, 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 it's just a nice, solid, nice sort of blue-green colour. A bit of a strange one. <laughs> um and my my first choice um, is a, a contrast, and it's um, Wildwood. Uh, and like I say, for the reasons where I sort of use it as a replacement for Agros Earthshade, but I also um, find it quite versatile in that I use it to shade white. So I used it on my sort of white. It's almost a ceramic type looking armor for the the Luminef Realmlust to shade that with the in combination with. Um, Dried bark as well. I get a similar effect thinning down dried bark with with a Lamy medium. Um, you can use it to shade golds. Um, you can use it on um, like your robes and things to shade your robes if you thin it down with the the, the contrast medium. Um, so yeah, out of all of the contrast paints, that's probably the the one I use the most, the um, Wildwood. And you mentioned certainly use like quite a lot of my social vindicates. It's a really nice uh, and use Wildwood a lot um, on the kind of what I've used a lot on the screen values to a few things as well it's a, it's a great little paint shall we go to what's, what's your paints so my top three paints as we've been chatting has turned into a top ten uh, <laughs> paints um, but I'll try and narrow it down um, so my, my third choice I'm going to have to go with Gilliman Flesh. Um, I mean, when Contrast Pains came out, I was a bit sort of sceptical and that sort of stuff. But I've always found Gilliman Flesh works phenomenally well over certain base paints like Retributor Gold. And if you're looking for Flesh, Rakoff Flesh as a base, followed by Gilliman Flesh with a little bit of Contrast Medium, at, like it game changer <laughs> like I, I mean i hate painting flesh like it's uh, just a bit of a chore for me but that gilliman flesh over a rack flesh base if i'd known that or i had access to the contrast paint when i was doing my um ogres that would have just let me fly through that army so quickly and just so easily um I mean, I've Maybe picked up some fire slayers. Yeah, I've over, never, over. I've never used it over Rakar Flesh, but um, I'm gonna have to try that now. That yeah, that sounds quite interesting. Yeah, over Rakar Flesh, it 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 works very similar to it over um, like Wraithbone and stuff, but I find it doesn't sort of like peel away as much. Yeah, um, I see. This is we are talking about putting base. I think with contrast. I, I know you love them, Dave, but I think the Wraithbone and Greysick can be a bit of a harsh colour to then tint with the contrast. So if you put down a base of something closer to the eventual colour you're looking for, then contrast does its magic. It 
pools in the recesses and shades it while still glazing the tops for the kind of quasi highlight. Yeah, uh, I, like I said, it absolute game changer. I mean, I also had Death Guard Green and Zandri Dust as my first, cho- my third choice, um, because I've used I use Zandri Dust on literally everything, and Death Guard Green, um, literally allowed me to paint my entire Nurgle army without losing my mind. So that were that were, those were both number three choices. Uh, my second choice. <laughs> so. I'm a bit of a Chaos fanboy, and I think this year I'm definitely going down that rabbit hole. And in terms of paints, I, I've been stocking up on these. And the first one is Blood for the Blood God. Um, as soon as they announced um, World Eaters were getting a codex, I was like, yeah, okay. I, I know how I'm going to paint these models. Um, but um, looking at... Um, paints that just add that little bit extra to models so i find with like blood for blood gun you know you throw it on a um a sword and you make that sort of blood effect all of a sudden it it massively improves um the look of models and it really draws your eye to the swords and stuff and i even found um i think it was on some of my um blades of corn units i i put it on the weapons but then had it on the base as well to to sort of like make it look like it was dripping off the sword and just dripping onto the ground you know in the, in the middle of a battle you know blood's going to be going everywhere isn't it so um and yeah i found it really worked well and especially with like blades of corn when i was painting them i mean i absolutely loved painting them and thrown on skulls thrown on blood for blood god paint uh, it adds so much to those models and it, it really does add a lot to um a, a lot of models but i found that especially with blood for blood god you've got to use it sparingly like in some ways less is more i find with blood for blood god um but having said that if you play corn just slap it on you can't go wrong um <laughs> and uh a notable mention for my second choice was also Nurgle's Rot um, for a similar sort of thing. You know, you get like poison. You know, we've been mentioning the uh, Deathmaster for the Skaven on onto on this week's show. You know, throwing on some Nurgle's Rot into that poison again really draws your eyes and really makes it look organic. Um, and I found adding some Nurgle's Rot to the bases of my playbearers and stuff like that in my Magikin again it really makes them look like Nurgle models so that's definitely an honourable mention and then my first choice (laughs) so I've gone for one paint which I don't think I would have lasted this long in the hobby had it not been around Um, and another paint that I use a a lot Um, and the first one is Devlin Mud Um, for yeah, for the, for the exact same reason that Dave mentioned Agrax Earthshade, Devil and Mud. When I was um, getting back into the the hobby and and really committing to painting stuff and and that, I would just put base colours down and then just Devil and Mud over the top. And the Devil and Mud added so much to your model. It it turned what can only be described as a novice painter into what I felt like was, you know, not golden demon quality, but way above what I should be painting at and stuff like that. And it was literally just 
putting some devil in mud over the top. You know, really defined the details, really added a lot of depth, give you that dark, almost gothic look on the right model. Um, and I, yeah, revolutionized my painting with devil in mud. And then my honorable mention for my first choice is a paint that I don't think I've not used on a model this year. And that's Reichland Shade for the exact same reason. You know, it works so well over gold. It works so well over all those sort of brown um, base paints and stuff like that. And, you know, you throw it over some Zandri dust and then dry brush tyrant skull. And, you know, you can create such a natural look to, you know, parchments or skulls or, you know, anything along those lines. So, yeah, Reichland Flesh Shade and Devil and Mud is, is my first choice. I've cheated there. I do apologise, but, yeah, there's a lot of paints. <laughs> well, we'll let you off. It was, it was, it was difficult. Um, that does was, Matt, with, you to, with your top three paints. Well, number three is completely not related to stuff that's on the near horizon and that is sons of horus green air the first air painting our top three i might add mm. um i got a, mm. an, a, a an airbrush a couple of years ago and it just changed our paint the fact that you can just spray something black and then give it whatever color base color you want to within the citadel range and then color match it back to the the kind of proper quote marks citadel paints is is amazing you're not limited to the rattle cans and um january before this last one i started painting a sons of horus army and just the effect you can go you just start with with black go for an angled spray of sons of horus green and then a further angled green i think it's lupercal green and it's just so quick and easy to get those Sons of Horus looking ready for the tabletop. And then you can go in and add more details and weathering and stuff. But it just makes the whole process so much easier. I've been telling Jay for years he needs to get an airbrush. I don't think he's, he's quite convinced. Um, no, no I am. Fun. I'm convinced of the end results for sure. Um, and like the models you paint with your air, airbrush and the, the you know, the time saving without skimping on the quality is really good what puts me off an airbrush is the maintenance and um sort of the tear down of it so like in an evening i finish painting i just leave my paints where they are whereas with an airbrush you have to i think take that time just to look after the equipment don't you uh, yeah, which I is mean, not and it's not as arduous as it could depends what you're using if you put a lot of kind of primer and stuff through it that's going to gunk up your airbrush and it's going to take quite a bit of cleaning but if you if you prime your models with a rattle can and then you're just using this bottom base colors you're talking five ten minutes just flushing some airbrush yeah. cleaner through it uh, obviously you know sometimes you'll get a blockage and yeah you've got to disassemble it and that's a bit of a pain trying to kind of trial and error find out what it's blocked once you've kind of got the feel for the airbrush though i guess it's no different to you have a nice um, Winsor Newton brush or something, you don't clean it properly. Next time you come back to it, it's going to have flayed yeah. bristles and not be any good. So I guess it's just with the save time, just factoring in that, the, the, you know, five, ten minutes to clean it. And yeah, admittedly, it's it's not something you can do quickly because you've got to factor in that cleaning time, haven't you? And a lot of the chemicals that you flush through it to clean, maybe not where you've got, you know, kids running around and stuff, maybe not best advised. Um, yeah, wear a mask mm. when you clean your airbrush. That's my pro tip. 
this week. So yeah, Sons of back to the question. Sons of Horus Green, it just makes painting Sons of Horus so quick and easy. And you know, obviously when the uh, the Horus Heresy Age of Darkness box drops, I suspect that we might see a few new armies pledged to the Warmaster cropping up soon. So uh, there is actually recently a lot of the a lot of the air paints were based on the Forge World colours that were that they released ages ago. Since that came out fairly recently, I think around the same time as Contrast drops, a lot of those heresy-specific colours are now available as base paints as well, if you want to use a brush. Which is really good, which is really good. So my number two choice is a Contrast paint. And I've said I, I think over the last year maybe, guys, I've gone for the using Contrast as a magical cheat to shade base colours rather than a wash. Because I think it gives a really good effect and it um, it stops the, the, the common problem that you see with contrast with like tide marks and washed out colours sometimes. So I've gone for Flesh Terror. If you use this over a base coat of Corn Red, Mephiston Red, something like that, highlight it up with um, Wild Rider Red, you know, the normal colours you'd use to highlight up red, and then put a layer of uh, Flesh Terror, always, 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 mix it at least one part contrast medium to one part contrast i find that gives it a better finish put that over it more like you'd use a felt tip pen rather than putting it on like a wash and you get a really nice kind of like red leather look to it so i've used that for for chinzar i've used that for my soul black grave lords it just gives a really really nice red and i might be experimenting on that with um cabanda when he's oh, built yeah, cool. But yeah, it just it just gives it. I guess it's a similar effect. You use a lot of the old glazes over the colours to get a similar kind of effect. It just brings out the vibrancy with the pigment. And I guess that's essentially what you're doing. You're thinning it down, and then you're just supercharging that red to give a really cool look. So that is my number two choice. My number one choice. I'm going to have a two for because Andy had about ten in his. So <laughs> I have gone for. Is this the first non-GW paint we've mentioned on this topic as well? In Star Pure Black. This is the Mac Daddy of black paints. And Instar White is amazing too. Abaddon Black, sometimes I find, is a bit clumpy. You use it not very thinned. It's a bit chunky monkey. You thin it a bit too much. It takes three or four coats to put on smoothly. Instar yeah. Black, straight out of the pot. Chef kiss. Brilliant. Rims, one time round with this, is all you need. It's, no. it's the best black I've used. I'll have to invest in some of this then, I think. Yeah, very, very good. And similarly, the white is amazing too. It's, imagine, um, oh, what's it called? Not ceramite white. Corax white, white replacement. Imagine that, but actually thin and beautiful consistency out of the bottle. Ah, so, yeah, so they're both, that both really, good. really good. Um, and the inside, the inside do some cool paints, um, which links into my bonus, my bonus entry, uh, is a Char Charadon Granite. It is a beautiful colour. It was part of the foundation paint range, if you remember that, which came out the same time as uh, Delvin Mud and stuff like that. And it was a weird kind of green, brown, grey. Can't really describe what colour Charadon Granite is. However, I use that for painting the trench bases of my Death Corps of Krieg, which I recently uh, reincarnated on my Chaos Knights and spent about a day flicking through old notebooks to try and find my colour scheme. Remembered it was charred on granite. I was like, 
curses. But then remember, <laughs> Paintstar for a period did do some colour matching paints to those old uh, foundation paints, and I had a couple that oh. I'd bought and put away in a break glass for Charadon granite case. Um, and yeah, it looks look so good. Uh, my quick trench-based tutorial in five minutes now. Get a base, get some polyfiller, slap it on. Mash it up with a bit of a sculpting tool, stick some barbed wire in it, sprinkle sand on the top, leave for a day. Spray black, awesome. Slap charadon granite over it, awesome. While it's still wet, put a load of agrax earth shade over it and put some like either glossy varnish or some hard coat or something like that in it. Let it all dry. You'll come back the next day and what you'll find is that the the, the, the shiny pigments that you put in, like your um, your varnish and your, your kind of glossy bits, will have kind of slowly crept down into the puddles and stuff, leaving you a crusty, rot, uh, muddy surface, but then with puddles of like water. Looks so good. Done. Oh, nice. Excellent. That's a really good one to finish on. Um, yeah, I like the choices. Quite a few elements that I've never used. I've never actually used, and I never ever use that you just mentioned Matt uh, that was the golden age <laughs> of shades Dave Devlin Mud if you yeah. like Agrax Earthshade you would have loved Devlin Mud yeah excellent I remember Chestnut Ink remember that one? Oh, I, Chestnut Ink yeah. Yeah. that experience you were talking about Andy of painting Devlin Mud over your model and it just becoming like a, a golden demon when you're in front of your eyes I remember painting up some um, high elves from the last Alliance set and I'd done the gold in what, was, what were the golds back then? Because it wasn't Retributor Armour, was it? What was it? Not Gehenna's gold. It was before Gehenna's gold and Balthazar gold. Was it Auric Armour? Auric Armour gold, something like that. Bright, yeah, bright. You know, true, true, true story. Uh, Delvin Mud, um, brown, the, the brown ink. In the same way that the Emperor burned through thousands of psychics every day to keep on ticking, Games Workshop took the tears of thousands of psychers and mixed it into these pots. But then due to changes in paint regulations, they couldn't do that anymore. So we had to make do with their uh, Agrax <laughs> shade. That may or may not be true. I'm not sure. I'm not aware of that. top three choices. Time to find out. The top, it's time to find out the community top three picks to end this podcast back. So it is time to wrap up this cast episode with the community free choices. I'm going to start Facebook. Peacock, the scale 75 necro gold. My soul blight mutation wouldn't be on track without it. Flesh tested contrast. Very, very nice red. And a mix of 50-50 oil and agro shade. He knows he's cheating to put this in there. Okay, it's that useful. Never all oil mixed with uh, agrax. He says it's a nice murky shade for weathering and grime. Kyle Milne instead said this is easier than it should be. Shade, and guess what? Shade. <laughs> what, what do you have on the over to you, Matt. What do we have over on Twitter? Well, first of all, Kerry Robertson on Facebook says, Tell us our blue contrast, Instar Pure Black, which is beautiful black, and Water Plus. Strictly speaking, not a paint, but I've been I've been banging the drum about Water Plus for, for ages. It is amazing stuff. Drop or two of it to any colour, 
amazing don't need to thin it don't want to use uh, medium or anything it's essentially like a better medium basically um over on twitter we've got paul meredith who says my favorite paints at the moment are canoptic alloy is their favorite metal flesh terror red which is a really nice deep red and skeleton horde bones in one g ambulance services rakareth flesh the most versatile paint ever sotec green a glorious color and Vallejo, fluorescent magenta, which is a bright pink. Well, that appeals to the Slanesh in me. <laughs> uh, Anonymous Rex says Mephiston Red, Black Templar, and Fenrisian Grey. The Porter says Zandri Dust, instant base for sand, bone, and light-coloured wood. Deathweld Forest, solid green that can take most colour washers. Agrax turns it Nurgle, Athonian turns it Goblin, etc. And Lead Belcher, reasonably close to the old bolt gun metal. And they also say, bring back armor wash. Uh, Pete Planky Jabroni says, skeleton horde, skeleton horde, and Devlin mud. Jem Jackson says, Corax white, phenomenal coverage, even when touching up over reds and blacks on white scars power armor. Oh, I could do with painting some white scars as well. Uh, the contrast paint range turned painting from a bearable to an enjoyable aspect of the hobby. I'm sure you'll completely agree with that one, Dave. Uh, shout Absolutely. out to Basilicarum Grey. And number one, Goblin Green. There is no better way to base. You know what? I've been seriously tempted to, to do an army and base it in Goblin Green for a long time. <laughs> um, but you know what? I'd be tempted to do some ultramarines with yellow rims and Goblin Green bases for Horus Heresy. <laughs> Old school. Old school, yeah. <laughs> uh, Demat says Instar Pure Black. Mon Monument Pro Actal Bright Ivory, that's a mouthful, and Turbo Dork People Eater. I don't know what colour that is, but I want to I want to try it out. I'm guessing purple. Um, <laughs> and Nevermore says Nylac Oxide slash Ethermatic Blue, Flesh Terror's Red, and Rune Lord Brass. That's a nice assortment of paints. That's a very nice assortment of paints. We should do a Bruce paints set. The paints in it. That'll sell Games Workshop. Yeah. Um, Right, we need to ask the question, Matt. What, what is next week's war is approaching? The Imperium has been ripped asunder. Fully half of the legions have sided with the War Master, the rightful Emperor of Mankind, and the other half follow the 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 heretical corpse Emperor, who is clearly the bad guy of this story. With this in mind, I want to know your top three characters from the Horus Heresy series. Not not rising to debate there, Matt. <laughs> Seeking choices in early virus. So we will be putting a tweet and a face a day or so before the podcast uh, recordings and reply to those and we'll, we'll read out as can on next week's show. That brings another episode to a close. Our thanks again to all our regular to anybody new listen to this for the first time we have got plenty of content going up over on bruiseandbruise.com and our channel so make sure we keep it uh, and just a, a quick reminder that our doom review is in the podcast today if you wanted to check that out at your leisure until our next podcast have a great week of hobby and we'll speak to you all again very soon bye bye bye, bye.
Thanks for listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruesandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruesandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruesandbrews. Thank you.